uh, Acts 16. I'm going to try to finish up this chapter today. And why don't we do something we haven't done for a while, but why don't we have everyone stand up and just kind of, as I read the word of God, kind of give it reverence. We see in the Old Testament instances where they read God's word and they stand up just to, you know, again, honor it, understanding who wrote it, where it's coming from. Actually, I was reading in Nehemiah 9 this morning that they stood up for a third of the day and read God's word. So if you guys complain about my sermons being too long, I don't want to hear it because it's never been a third of the day. All right. So let's go ahead and read the text we're going to be in, starting in verse 25. And it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken And everyone's bonds were unfastened when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, uh, the magistrates have have sent to let you go therefore come out now and go in peace but paul said to them they have beaten us publicly uncondemned men who are roman citizens and have thrown us into prison and do they now throw us out secretly no let them come themselves and take us out and the police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were roman citizens so they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city, so they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, again, we just want to give reverence to your word. We know that the Holy Spirit inspired these very words. They've been uh, protected uh, through time, preserved, because this is what you give us, the instructions for life, if you will, and how to know the God that created us how much you love us and your plan to save us and then your plan for us to live in in this new life that is available through Jesus. So this has the words so that we can truly experience what life was supposed to be and that is a life spent in a relationship with you. So we are so thankful that you've given us the very thing that in some way or another we're searching for our whole life right in front of us. And so we don't want to take it for granted. And we know that every time we come together, anytime we open this book ourselves or we're sitting under the reading of it, there's power in it that you work you work through your Holy Spirit in giving us the information we need to live a blessed and happy life, to have wisdom that we couldn't have apart from you, to have comfort that we couldn't have apart from you, to have correction for the, our betterment that we couldn't have apart from you. So we want to listen up because you know where each one of us is 
in what needs to be spoken to each of us. And we want to leave here changed for the better, which is only something you can do inside of us, Lord. So have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can sit down. Just kind of front load the, what we're going to talk about today. Um, Paul tells us in Romans uh, chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, that we can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. Now, even though Paul tells us, and there's other places in Scripture that says that we're to rejoice at all times, we're to rejoice even whether things are going good or they're hard, how many of you guys find it hard to rejoice at all times when you're going through difficult things that you don't understand? Okay, every, every single one of us. I'm, I'm, I'm going to represent us all and raise my hand because you must just be tired if you're not. But we're all in that category, right? And I think any one of us here, if, if we were given the option by God, hey, do you want to live a life that's just without any hard things or, you know, like at, at ease, you never, nothing ever happens that is against your plans or, you know, no surprises, no difficulties, we would probably choose that, right? Because we don't want hard things to come into our lives, and that's not necessarily wrong. But when you become a follower of Jesus, the hard things in life all of a sudden take on a different meaning because God's words tells us that they're not just chance, that that basically, even though we're going to face hard things in this life, there's uh, eternal significance that's now attached to them through your faith in Jesus Christ. And basically, because of that, because we know that even though there's bad things we're going through and they're hard and they're uncomfortable, that God is going to be with us in them. He's going to see us through them. They're not going to get the best of us. God is going to even work the worst of things for our best somehow in some way. And we see him do this over and over again. All of a sudden, there's this hope that we can have even when things are not going good. And because of that, like Paul tells us there in that verse, in in that passage of Romans 5, we can rejoice. Not in the hard thing itself, because that hard thing is just a temporary condition of living in a sinful world. You guys understand that, right? It's not going to be like that for eternity. We're just here for a moment in time, which is a drop in the bucket compared to forever. And because of sin, we have to go through hard things, okay? Whether it's our sin or other people's sin. But that's not what eternity is going to be like. God's going to save us from that. So that's a temporary condition. So we don't rejoice in the fact that we're going through hard things. We rejoice in the fact that the God that's in control of all those hard things, that is overseeing everything going on at any given moment, has promised that... Even in the worst of things, I will work it all for your good. Amen? And that's not a conditional promise. It's it's conditional in the fact that you receive it through your faith in Jesus, but it's not dependent on anything you do or not. He just says, I'm going to be good in your life. And you will see that one day, right? So that's why we can rejoice. That's what Paul's getting at. They're not wasted, okay? And in today's text, we're going to see a great example of how Uh, it's important that we view the hard things we go through in life with the right frame of mind so that we react the right way to them. Because when we do that, God will use it, not only to produce maturity in you, like Paul was talking about there in Romans 5, but also he will use it to reveal himself to other people around you so that they see their need for him in the midst of their hard times too. Amen? All right. So 
Just to recap, before we jump into the text today, we left off with Paul and his crew ending up in the city of Philippi. Remember, on the continent, continent of Europe, the first um, mission trip, if you will, that we're aware of, where uh, the gospel is going out to Europe. And they're there. They're preaching to uh, uh, a bunch of Jewish women that are gathering outside of the city to pray. Uh, one of those women is a woman named Lydia from Thyatira, which was a city on um, the continent of Asia. She gets saved. Her family gets saved. And then we see during their efforts of preaching the gospel, there's this demon-possessed uh, girl that's owned as a slave. And she's being used by her owners to f- do fortune-telling for people. And she's following them around, and she's basically affirming who they are. She's saying, these guys are messengers of God, and they have the truth on how to be saved. And we see Paul basically get annoyed with this, uh, in a sense, unholy affirmation. And he casts that demon out, at which point the owners become very angry because they've lost their profit or their ability to make money. And they accuse them unjustly of kind of, in a sense, causing disturbance amongst the people in the city. And at that time, what happens is Paul and Silas are severely beaten. Um, they're, 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 they're unjustly arrested. They're beaten. They're thrown into prison. And we left off with seeing them, even though despite all this wrong happening in their life, they're praying and praising God. And so that's where we're going to pick it up today, all right? So uh, starting in verse 25, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So as we discussed last week, here's Paul and Silas. Basically not a whole lot going right. They preached the gospel. They basically cast out this demon that was afflicting this girl. And because of that, people just treat them with, you know, in a sense, viciousness, right? They, they, they beat them. They arrest them. They really didn't do anything illegal. So um, they, they're in this uncomfortable, undesirable situation. But we don't see them complaining. I mean, they might. I'm sure they weren't enjoying it. But we don't see them like complaining about it. We don't see them questioning God. We don't see them feeling sorry for themselves. What we do see is that they're praying and praising the Lord by singing hymns. And then God miraculously acts on their behalf by causing an earthquake and freeing them from their 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 bondage their their restraints and in, in opening up the prison doors and here lies another benefit of being a child of god in that the hard things we so often face in this life can leave us in a place of feeling trapped okay imprisoned by our fears and worries and the accompanying anxiety that that happens because of that. Like you're in this place that you can't escape because you're just fearful of what's happening. Have you guys felt that way? How many of you guys deal with anxiety to some degree or you have dealt with anxiety where you're just worried and, and, and you, you feel like you're trapped in it and you can't get out of it? Now, where that is very true without God before you became a Christian With God, he does offer a way of escape from the fear to a place of peace. And it comes through these same two things we see Paul and Silas doing here. Prayer and praise. All right? Paul tells us this very, very exact thing in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. That's the first step to pray. That's what we're doing when we're praying. We're telling God what we need. 
And then we thank him for all he has done. That's the second step, praise. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. What is is it guarding it from? It's guarding it from the, the lies of the enemy, the spiritual battle. It's a term there in the Greek that would be used like, like guarding somebody in a military sense. Like we're in this spiritual battle. The enemy want, the father of lies, as we talked about last week, wants you to believe all these false things with this attempt to kill, steal, and destroy from you. And when we do this, this is what God uses. He gives us a peace and it, and it protects us from those lies of the enemy. So he, Paul basically encourages, number one, to pray. Number two, to praise the Lord instead of worrying. He gives us something to do. When you're worried, do these things instead. And when you do that, you will receive a peace from God, which isn't based on your understanding. Understand, understand that. Okay, it's not a peace that comes from knowing everything's going to work out the way you want or understanding why things are happening. It's, it's a, a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's a peace that comes from knowing that God knows what's going on. And God has promised that it will be good, whether it's the way you want or not. That's where the peace comes from. Now, how many of you have tried that and feel or felt at times at least that that doesn't work? <laughs> I pray and I praise, but yet I'm still worried, right? We've all been there, okay? We all, I still get there. And that's because like a lot of things with God, when he tells us to do something, it's not just like a, like a, a magical formula where you just like mechanically do these things. Like I'm just going to pray and praise and then all of a sudden God is supernaturally going to give me peace. It doesn't work that way. You see, God gives us many promises to be thankful for in his word. And those promises, this is why it's especially important to know his word because they especially become important when you're going through something difficult. When you're going through something you don't understand, there are many promises that you need to cling to to remind yourself that it is going to be all right, all right? And his past faithfulness to keep those promises will help you trust him in the present. That's why Philippians 4, 7, what does it say? Thank him for all he has done. All he's done, okay? Focus on all the times God has kept his promises to you in the past, all the times where things seem to be going wrong, and God was faithful to bring you through those things and convince yourself by doing that, he's going to do the same again, all right? Because God has truly never, ever given us, any one of us, a single reason to doubt him. He never has, okay? But we need to convince ourselves of that. We need to remind ourselves of that. So to truly pray and give God thanks requires you to really trust that the Lord will handle your situation with the best, with your best interests in mind. And that takes humility because what that means is if you're going to truly trust him, it doesn't have to work out the way you want it to. All right? That's what true trust is. That even if it works out, because we have a habit of always thinking the worst case scenario, even if it works out that worst case scenario, God's promise will not be void. He will still be good somehow. Even though I can't see it, I trust that he will still be good. So when we choose to trust him and believe his promises, instead of the lies our flesh and the enemy would try to tempt us to believe that lead to fear and worry, it will shake your whole world up, just like this prison was shaken up. Because literally what it will do is it will turn your attitude of fear to one of thankfulness. Or it frees you. From the bondage of fear or anxiousness, just as Paul and Silas were free, were released and freed of their bonds, okay? Because there's absolutely not a single 
promise that God has made to you that you've received through faith in Jesus, not conditional, but because you've placed your faith in Jesus and you're a child of God. But there's not a single promise you've received through that faith that isn't emphatically for your good and well-being. And even though I haven't been promised that I'm always going to understand what's going on or things are going to always work out the way that I want, I have been promised that in whatever does happen, it is going to be with my best interests in mind. And the God that made that promise actually knows better than me what is for my best interests. Because he sees the whole picture, where I only see part of it, okay? So you've been given absolutely no reason to fear anything in this life from the moment you've placed your faith in Jesus onward, all right? Even though we still might struggle with it, we have to remind ourselves of this. This is the reality is a child of God. You've got no reason to be fearful. That's why perfect love casts out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. If you're fearful, you fear are fearing punishment. You think something bad is going to happen to you. And Jesus took all the punishment your sin deserved on that cross. So you don't have to fear it anymore. Even in the bad things that happen, as Jesus said, you will face tribulation in this world. But take heart, take courage, have hope. I've overcome this world. You're no longer a part of it. You're a part of my kingdom, my world, and my promises apply to you now. And that right there will give you a real hope in your life. When you believe it, when you trust you will have hope. It, hope in the Bible is not a wishy-washy, just hoping for the best. It's a sure expectation of good things to come because God has said so. All right? Which will lead to peace in your life. Paul tells us this in Romans fifteen thirteen. He says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. So here's the first thing to get in that verse. There's only one source of true hope. Every other source of hope will inevitably let us down. We've experienced that. And if we're being honest, it'll continue to be that right way. There's one source of true hope that you can be 100% sure of, and that is God. Because he's said you have given you every reason to be hopeful and because he's never, ever lied. He's been nothing but faithful. So that needs to be your source of hope. We need to check that. And then... You need to trust him at his word. And when you do that, he will be able to fill you completely with joy and peace. So here's the process. Prayer plus giving thanks for his past faithfulness while trusting the Lord with your current circumstances will lead to hope in your situation or a sure expectation of good, at which point the Lord will be able to fill you with joy and peace and you will be free of fear and bondage. Now, let me just explain a practical example of this because I still struggle with this too. Actually, I never even had an anxiety attack in my life until I got saved. And, and it often happens when, it, when I'm going to do ministry stuff. Of all things, I'm going to be faithful to the Lord. And all of a sudden, it strikes. I was just uh, a couple weeks ago, I got the privilege of sharing uh, uh, at the um, Anchor Christian Academy for their chapel time. And so... Uh, uh, me and I took my son to lead worship and so like we're, we're driving on the car and I just start feeling sick like with anxiousness like sick where you guys probably if you guys have anxiety attacks you start sweating food just starts ready to go right through you you start getting nauseous and I'm like I'm, I'm feeling this all right and so right away I've, I've, I've felt this before so it's like start praying Start thanking the Lord. Lord, you've got me through this before. I've got worship music on and I'm praying to God. Now, the trusting part 
What that looked like for me is that I didn't turn around the car and go home. All right. It was like, all right, I'm just, God is going to be faithful. I felt this way before. He's going to get me through this. I'm not letting the, like the, these lies in my head, whether it's the enemy or my flesh, deter me from doing something God wants me to do. So I'm going to move forward. And I get there and I'm still sick. I'm like chatting with all the people I know, just about ready to hurl all over and, you know, run to the bathroom really quick before getting up there. And, and like, like it was like that all the way until my son started leading a worship, the kids in a worship song and I was worshiping the Lord. And then just like that, it was all gone. And then I got to share the word with these awesome kids and hear great testimonies or reports just back on what the Lord taught them. But all that to say is that's what it looks like. All right. And every single one of us, that's the, the Lord's given us the same mechanism and has released you from having to live in that fear and anxiousness. All right. But something we got to learn. And it's something that, again, we have to persevere and endure through those times when we're struggling with it so that we can see God deliver us from it. Amen. That's what trust is. And then when you see it enough, you know, like it says in the word, it's like when you rebuke the enemy, he'll flee. Resist him. That's your resistance. Eventually, he'll give up because you see he's not getting anywhere with you. Amen. All right. Verse 27, it says, when the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. So this jailer, he wakes up, sees the prison doors open makes a good assumption in that, man, the prisoners must have gone. He's ready to kill himself. And that's not for out, without reason because uh, in, in that Roman culture, what would happen is if a jailer let a prisoner go or let a prisoner escape, he would be responsible for uh, whatever sentence that prisoner had. He'd have to carry it out. So surely there were probably prisoners in this prison that had the death sentence. They were kind of awaiting for that. So he knew that, man, if these guys got away, then I'm going to get that death sentence, okay? And so he's in this low spot. He's ready to take his life. But Paul intervenes. He, he basically tells him, no, 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 we're all still here. And the fact that Paul and Silas didn't run for it as soon as they had a chance should be noted here. As they most likely knew what would happen to this jailer had they bailed and left him there. Worldly wisdom would have said to run for it. But love told him, hey, this guy's more important than our personal freedom. So we're going to stay here. And this display of grace by Paul and Silas was all the more amazing because this jailer was the, very, was the very guy that was a part of their unjust treatment. He didn't deserve them to show this type of grace, this type of like, you know, like wanting what's best for this guy. They, they didn't, he didn't deserve that. Yet they did it anyways. And that struck, it struck something with him, all right? Because look at his reaction here in verse 29. It says, the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You and your household, or in essence, your faith in Jesus will affect your family as well. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once. He and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This jailer 
most likely heard them singing, praying and singing, just like because verse 25 says the prisoners heard them doing that. And then he saw this unwarranted display of compassion toward him and not fleeing from the jail, even though they had the chance. And through the actions he witnessed of these followers of Jesus and the way they responded to hardship and the way they responded to unjust treatment, he came to the conclusion, I want what you guys have. All right. And basically, he felt like you guys have the answer how to get it. As he asks him there in verse 30, what, what do I do? What do I do to be saved? Him thinking that he had to do something to know God, because we all gravitate towards that, don't we, right? We think that, what is it that I have to do? And it's a sign of repentance when people do that, actually, because in essence, you're thinking that you have to make up for all the things you've done wrong, okay? And most surely, this guy had something right in front of his face because he just treated these guys unjustly and look at the way they repaid him. They showed him compassion and that struck out to him, all right? But they respond by telling him, it's not about what you have to do. It's about everything that's already been done for you. You just need to place your faith in Jesus. You need to understand that you couldn't save yourself. And so he died on the cross, paid the price for your sins so that you could be saved. And you need to understand your need and you need to believe in him and receive that free gift of salvation. That's how you get saved. And they share God's word with the jailer and his family. And he and his family must have all believed and been saved as they're baptized immediately in verse 33, leaving the whole family rejoicing in their newfound faith in the Lord. And this was true faith, okay? Because true faith will be shown by our actions, as God's word tells us in James 2, right? It's not your works that save you, but it's because you saved, your works will show evidence of that. That's what James teaches us in 2. You will be changed. And what we see here is the very guy that was a part of their persecution is now wanting to take care of them by cleaning their wounds and feeding them. That right there is a change only God can do in somebody. Amen? And this passage, as I mentioned at the beginning of Scripture, shows us multiple ways God uses trials, both for, number one, the benefit of the believer, and number two, the benefit of the unbeliever. Okay? So for the believer, if you're a note taker, write this down. Trials reveal our spiritual maturity. Trials reveal our spiritual maturity. The difficulties we face in life have a way of revealing just where you're at in your relationship with the Lord. You might have heard it said before, Christians are a lot like tea bags in that you really can't be sure what's in them until they're placed in hot water and it reveals what exactly is in them. All right? Likewise with us, trials are, aren't responsible for the reaction that comes out of us. They just reveal what is already going on inside of us, all right? I think of instances in my life where I was in some sort of hard situation and it revealed things about me that I didn't even know were there that were things that I needed help, help with from the Lord. One of those was having kids, I thought I was a pretty decent, pretty generous person until I had a child. And as I was walking around with my baby, crying in the middle of the night, lacking sleep and, and actually getting angry, I realized, wow, I'm selfish. I am wretched, man. This little helpless baby can't take care of himself and I'm mad about it. 
I mean, it was like one of those like sobering moments where the Lord's just like, you're not as good as you think you are. You got a lot of work left. All right. But that's what trials do. They have a way of revealing these things to us. If we weren't ever placed in hard situations, it would be very difficult for us to be aware of those areas that we need to go to God with to help fix. As it's far easier to react the right way when things are going the way you want than it is to react the right way when things aren't going the way you want, right? So we're all in this process of continually being changed for the better, and it's important for us to be aware of those areas that we need to seek the Lord for help to grow in because what comes with living according to God's word is blessedness or happiness or the abundant life. That's how Jesus refers to it. There's this much better life God has for you, and it's received through, it's been given to you, but it's received and experienced through living the way he tells us to, which has to be learned. It has to be taught by him. And so we need to be aware of those things that we still need to learn, that we need God's help to work on, all right? So we can look to him to help us in those things. Like living in the freedom from fear, as I discussed earlier. If you're still experiencing fear when you face hard things, that's your indicator that, God, I need your help with this. You've told me that perfect love casts out fear. So I know fear is not from you. I know it's not your will for me. So I'm still learning this. Help me learn to live in that peace you want for me. But you've got to be aware of it first before you can go to God with it. And that's what trials do. They expose those things, right? They help mature us. Now, another way God uses trials in a believer's life is, number two, to reveal himself to others. One reason that it's important that we learn to react the way God intends us to when faced with difficulty is that it'll stick out to those around you when they see your reaction because it'll be so countercultural or so different than how the world reacts to adversity in their lives. All right, Exactly what we see with this Paul and Silas and this jailer. Prosperity in your life or good things happening, that only tends to do one of two things. It either makes people jealous or it makes them envious, okay? Well, that guy's got it all going for him or that, you know, I just want to be like them. If you don't feel like that, just look at Instagram or something because that's anyone ever, any, all they post is the good stuff, okay? Most people. And so it'll just make you envious or jealous, okay? But here's the thing. When they see you praising the Lord in the midst of adversity, when things are not going good and they see that you still have hope, that you still are looking for that good thing God has promised you, like you're still encouraged, you're not giving up. That right there will stick out to people and leave them wondering why and wanting to know more because that is not normal. Whereas the whole world very much has a reason to be hopeless because they've been given no hope. They have no sure expectation of good. As a follower of Jesus, you've been given every reason to be hopeful. And when they see that, it sticks out and they will want to know more. And that leads to the way God uses trials in an unbeliever's life as well. For the unbeliever, trials are used to show them their need for God. This Philippian jailer was at a pretty low spot, man. He was suicidal. He was at to the point of giving up. He did not see a reason to go on living, which, by the way, is an absolute lie from the enemy, if anyone is feeling that. Because God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. So don't listen to that lie. You are absolutely valuable to God. And your life is worth living. All right. But here's the thing. This guy's to the point of being suicidal. 
thinking that he's got no reason to go on. He's going to be killed anyways. But God used the very circumstances that beat that guy down to that low place to reveal himself to the jailer and his family so they could believe in Jesus and be brought up to a place of rejoicing. And I can relate to this in my own life. You guys ever heard my testimony when my parents got divorced at a young age and my dad kind of bailed on our family and I didn't know him and it left me in this place of searching for acceptance from people my whole life. And that very thing that left me so often discouraged because I wasn't finding the acceptance I was looking for also is what God used to bring me to himself because ultimately I found the acceptance I wanted and needed in God. He was the only one that accepted me for who I was. And he was the only one that could be that perfect father I was looking for. So that very negative thing, which God wasn't responsible for, that was because of sinfulness. But that very thing, that bad thing, God used for my good to bring me into a saving knowledge of him. All right. And that's what he does. So often, most of you guys have that testimony, too, where even before you knew God, you look back now and you see the things in your life that weren't caused by him but that he was using to show you his need, your need for him in your life. That's how great our God is, working everything so that people can know he loves them and their need to have a saving relationship through faith in Jesus. Amen? And it says in verse 35, But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. So after visiting the jailer's home in what amounted to protective custody, Paul and Silas must have gone back to jail knowing this guy would get in trouble if they didn't. And the jailer gets some good news and that, hey, these guys, you guys can be released. And he relays the message to them. And this leads me to believe that the God that knows all things and would have known that Paul and Silas were basically being released the next day, that's not why he caused that earthquake ultimately. I mean, we can see that and think, oh, yeah, he's releasing them. But really, was that necessary? The reason he caused that, and we don't know this for sure, but I would just speculate, is because he knew that it would create this opportunity for them to react the right way in this trial and be a witness to this jailer so that he and his family and then other people that witnessed it in that jail could get saved. And it goes on in verse 37, it says, But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come out themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So as I mentioned last week, Roman citizens were under a very different um, law, civil rights. They had very different civil rights and non-citizens. And they probably assumed Paul and Silas being Jewish were non-citizens. That's why they got treated the way they did. They basically had no rights as non-citizens. But Paul and Silas show here that they are citizens. And they make that citizenship known upon hearing of their decision to release them. Basically saying, no, they need to come and release us themselves. Which they end up coming doing. And they do so apologetically for good reason. Because they understood that, hey, we messed up big time by the way we treated you guys. And if Paul and... Silas chose to, in a sense, elevate that up to higher authorities. These guys could get in a lot of trouble. So they're like, well, we're sorry. We've truly made a mistake. And they're very apologetic. And they let him go. And Paul and Silas end up 
um, showing grace and, and peacefully leaving. And, and they says they visit Lydia and the other believers to encourage them in their faith on the way out of town. Now, here's something I want to point out, though. One might wonder if Paul and Silas were citizens of Rome, why didn't they say something and avoid being thrown in prison and beaten? All right. And I would say verse 40 gives us a clue to at least one of the potential reasons. And that is in that it says that some of the believers they encouraged on the way out of town were brothers, as in plural. Now, up to this point, we only see them specifically preaching the good news to women outside of the church, all right? Other than in the jail. And we know that Lydia's family got saved, so that could have included some males. And there could have been some other men that got saved that just aren't specifically talked about here in 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 this chapter while they're in philippi but there were most certainly other men in that prison as verse 25 says that were listening to paul and silas as they prayed and sang hymns and got to see them not flee when they had the chance to and seeing how god used that to save the philippian jailer it's completely reasonable to assume that he probably saved some of those other prisoners as well right in none of that none of that would have been able to happen had Paul and Silas not been willing to give up their rights for the good of others. And I think that's important because remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about this, right? Just how we have the, because we have the liberty to do certain things as Christians, those things that aren't necessarily sinful, should we be doing those things? Because if in doing those things we compromise our ability to tell people about Jesus or witness to them, are they really worth it? Right? That's exactly what's going on here. And I've had this conversation, especially having to do with our rights, multiple times over the last couple of years because, let's face it, some of our rights were put in question, right? And a lot of people go to Acts twenty two twenty five, where Paul pulls the rights card because he's being unjustly treated and he's about to be beaten. And he says, I'm a Roman citizen. Can you do this? And he basically, it spares him. And we want to go to that because it kind of justifies our, our, our point in that. No, my rights are being violated. I want to stand up for it. But what we forget is here's another situation where he did have the same rights, but he was so in tune with God and understood the opportunities to witness that would come out of forsaking those rights that he's like, nope, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just set these aside. I'm going to let whatever happens, happens because I see that God has some work for me to do here. Would it have been sinful for Paul and Silas to pull their citizenship cards and avoid the unjust treatment they received? Not at all. They could have done that. But their obedience to the will of God was more important to them than their earthly rights. And they were in tune enough with the Lord to sense that, no, we're not supposed to say anything. Because we got people to witness to. So one might wonder, why then would they speak up now after the fact? And I would say maybe because they're looking out for their brothers and sisters in Christ, making sure they weren't treated with the same injustice for their faith that they were. You know, in essence, Paul's mindset might have been like, go ahead, beat me up. I'm looking for some dudes to minister anyways. I guess the Lord wants me to start a prison ministry. But when it came to his brothers and sisters in Christ, he's like, oh, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen. I'm watching you guys. And don't you dare treat my friends the same way you treated me just because they're Christians. That right there, that mindset is a great example of being like Jesus. Because when you've gotten to that point where you're able to say, I don't care 
what happens to me. You can do whatever you want as long as the welfare of others around me is taken care of. That's following Jesus' example, putting others above yourself because isn't that what he did for each of us on the cross? Amen? And that right there, that type of mentality is why God was able to use Paul and Silas in such a powerful way because they so awesomely reflected Jesus in their actions. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, as the worship team comes up here, I just want to end on this, this, this point of hard things and that how God has saved us from having to live in fear and worry during the hard things we face. Because let's face it, a lot of our life is spent facing difficulties, right? Whether it's big things, you know, like, you know, sickness that's life-lasting or losing loved ones or, you know, horrible things happening to us or just even just the everyday hard things. Raising your children day in, day out. Being married day in, day out. You know, these things that are blessings, but they're also very difficult. Whatever it is, God has saved us from having to have this attitude of fear and worry and anxiety. This world is full of hard stuff that the enemy would want to use to, in a sense, beat you down. To put you in a place like the jailer where you just feel like you can't go on anymore. Because things are so difficult. They're so hard. I don't know. Is it even worth going on? Because I don't see this ever getting better. But in Jesus, he wants to use those very same trials that the enemy's trying to beat you down with to, in a sense, beat you upward and onward. Okay? I mean, that's the reality. If you've placed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior... That that whole thing has been shaken up in your life and flipped upside down because the very things that, again, the enemy would want to destroy you with have now become the very things that are shaping and molding you into the beautiful person God created you to be. If you're a Christian feeling beaten up like Paul and Silas, God's using to help you mature. And their whole point of maturing is so that you can experience more of that blessed life that God intends for you. All right? So you don't miss out. Think of it this way. I like the analogy of a diamond because when a diamond comes out of the ground, it's just a rock. I mean, it's still valuable, but you wouldn't tell by looking at it. It has to be broken. It has to be shaped by a master jeweler so that it's able to display the light in it with the utmost brilliance. And that's kind of like what God's doing through your whole entire life. All of a sudden, like I said, the very the horrible things, the hard things that we don't like going through that seem very pointless. Why am I going through this before God came into your life? In With God in your life, all of a sudden they have meaning. They have purpose. And they're making you into who God made you to be. So that you're that beautiful bride that he's ready to receive when he comes back to get us. Or we go to be with him. Amen? We've got to remind ourselves of that, guys. Every day when things are difficult. And he's also using that adversity to reveal himself to those around you who are watching. Because you have opportunities all the time 
Moms, you have opportunities with your kids daily in your house when things are hard to react the right way. And they see that and they glean that and they attribute that to the Lord and you get those teaching opportunities with them. Or they see you react to a hard situation. Your neighbors see something going on crazy in your life. They see COVID going on like the last two years and they see that you're reacting differently than them. And they, why? Why are you so calm? Why? Oh, because God tells me this. He says, I don't have to be fearful. And who doesn't want that? I mean, as miserable as it is to be afraid and worried, who doesn't want to be relieved of that? Who doesn't want peace? Nobody. And we've got the greatest gift to give them because Jesus is the way they access that peace and that joy despite those hard things. Amen? We live in it and then we get to give, we get to experience it first and foremost and then we get to give it to other people. And if you're somebody in here today that hasn't received Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're, you're feeling beaten down like this Philippian jailer, here's what God would want to remind you or tell you today. He doesn't, that's not the place he wants you to stay at. In a sense, God himself, God in the flesh, that would be Jesus Christ, God's son, came and lived as a man and lived a sinless life, that proving that he was God because the Bible tells us that no one is sinless in this world. We can't be sinless. All of us have something we've done wrong, multiple things if we're being honest. And that's what separates us from God because he's perfectly righteous and he's just and he can't be in the presence of unrighteousness without justly dealing with it. And the penalty for sin is death. So God, knowing that you couldn't save yourself, sacrificed his son on that cross, took all the sins of mankind, all your sins, all my mankind, or all my sins upon himself and paid the just price once and for all, for all sin. So that when we recognize that, we say, Lord, we need you to save us and we invite him to come into our lives. We're saved. We're forgiven over sin and we're saved. Amen? And then he rose again on the third day to prove that he was in fact God because he conquered death. Not only for himself, but for you who have placed your faith in him. Death has lost its sting. We're going to talk a lot about this on Easter. That's what we're celebrating, our risen Savior and what the victory that, man... Death is the thing to be afraid of. That's ultimately a a reason behind a lot of our fear and worry. But we have nothing to fear or worry now because death is an upgrade for us. We leave this world and we go to be home with the Lord where we never leave him again. And we don't have to deal with the hard things anymore. Amen. That's the reality. That's the truth, brothers and sisters. But if you're somebody that hasn't placed your faith in Jesus and you're at that low point, you're just feeling like life is beating you down. Jesus was beaten down on that cross so you could be brought up. And resurrected with him. And given a new life. And you can leave this place. Being brought up into that new life. By simply receiving him. And believing in him as your Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. That's good news. Alright. So what we're going to do is. A couple things. We're going to have our prayer team around the room. If you guys need prayer. For anything. If you're dealing with hard things. You're having a hard time living in that peace. I'm going to encourage you to come up and get prayer with a brother or sister. Don't bear that burden alone. Help us call out to God for help in learning to live in that peace with you. That freedom he wants you to live in of fear and anxiousness. If you're somebody that 
like I was saying, you're, you're beaten down in that place because you don't have a relationship with the God that created you. You haven't placed your faith in Jesus. Come up and we'll lead you in a prayer. You can do it right where you're at. That's totally fine if that's what you're comfortable with. But sometimes it helps to have somebody else just to confess that, that, that need for Jesus, that you are a sinner, that you need to be forgiven, that you need his help in your life. You need him to be Lord. And we'll pray with you as well. For those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus, it's the cross that we need to always go back to. Because the cross is that reminder that we have been made children of God. We are a part of God's kingdom. All the promises that he's made to us are always yes and amen in Jesus. That's always the answer. And if he was willing to allow his son to die for you on the cross, like we read last week in Romans, how will he not give you everything else? How will he not always come through with you? If he's for us, who can be against us? We need to constantly remind ourselves of the cross because that was the greatest demonstration that God would keep every other promise to us. And so we'll have communion available. And during this last song, you can come up and get it. We have uh, some here on these tables and then on the back table, whatever's easiest. But grab a communion elements and just take them and rem- the, we're to do this in remembrance of Jesus. So we take that bread, we, which is symbolic of his body that was broken for us in his death. And we take that juice that's symbolic of his blood that was spilled, that atoned for our sins, paid the price for them. Basically, his death being a reflection of the wrath and judgment that our sin deserved that's already been dealt with once and for all. So we don't have to worry about it because we've re- we've given our sin to Jesus, acknowledged that we needed to give it to him and so he could pay it on the price and we've received his forgiveness, his grace, undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor in return. And as the Bible says, you are now robed in the righteousness of God. When he looks at you, even though you're a work in progress on this earth, you will be perfect one day when you're with the Lord, but... When he looks at you, he sees his son. He sees you as right as you could ever be. Amen? Amen. So take communion on your own. And let's go ahead and praise the Lord. Thank you so much again for just... Thank you for saving us, Lord. Thank you for this freedom you've given us. You've freed us from so many different things in our lives. We can think of so many practical things, but you also freed us from having to worry and be fearful to be in a sense in in this bondage of anxiety. There's so much stuff in this world that the enemy would want to scare us with. Yet in you, you've given us every reason to be hopeful in all of it. And we're so thankful for that, Lord. It, It flips our lives upside down that we've been given these promises and and, and that we can no matter what is going on have a joy and peace that's only in you in what you said in in your all the faith you've been nothing but faithful to keep your word to us and that demands our present trust lord so we want to even now if we're facing hard things we want to give those things to you prayerfully and praise you for all your past faithfulness and live in that present trust that you're going to continue to do what you said so that we can have that hope, that sure expectation of good in our lives and receive the peace and joy that you intend for us, Lord. I pray that for all your people. In Jesus' name, amen.